Welcome, 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 everybody, to another episode of Weekly Roundup with Ricky. We have come so far. The project has come so far. The market has come so far, and I get bullish by the day. And you know exactly why. Starting off with our project updates today, we have our pre-sale for Phase Two opening up again tomorrow. So those of you that are looking forward to minting your Leons again at the wonderful price of 0.05 ETH. You get to mint your fresh Leons again tomorrow, so make sure you're ready with your ETH and get your Phase 2 Leons. Um, talking about the project, uh, tomorrow's a big day, and uh, again, our founders, as you remember from last week, and this is why I love our founders so much, Alex and Tony, incredible human beings, because they're always, always, always thinking about saving money. Um, so they were supposed to fly to France to meet Michelle Konizinski, who is our, our advisor. And as you know, he was one of the founders of WeSeed, which was one of the first crowdfunding platforms, which has raised over 400 million euros so far. Um, they were supposed to fly to meet him in person to have discussions. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, but they told me last night that they are not going to be flying because they want to save the cost. Um, they still have the two days with him, uh, for consulting. They will be doing that online. Things they're going to be talking about are, um, basically talking about, uh, cost analysis, then talking about the business plan, then talking about the strategy around uh, how to turn profitable as soon as possible, as soon as we hit the ground running. And Alex and Tony already have this amazing Excel sheet with all the formulas. I can't, again, I'm probably giving you more information than I should, but that's me that I'm always dropping you alpha. Um, I was blown away by the work that Alex and Tony have done to prepare for this meeting to make sure they get the most out of this. Um, Michelle also has promised that he'll be able to share some insights uh, with Alex and Tony to help them uh, be successful as soon as possible whenever we are able to uh, get the company created and uh, onboard clients. So it's good preparation work, things that need to happen prior to the launch so that we are ready to go. Uh, another thing happening is the business plan. So the business plan is extremely important. Um, there's uh, everything depends on that. Uh, it's pretty detailed. Like I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's, it's pretty huge. Another thing that's being worked on is the slide deck or the pitch deck, I should say. And the pitch deck is usually a condensed version of the business plan. And the business plan is usually for the business, uh, pretty much asking for funding or going to the banks or with all the legalities and stuff. And the pitch deck is mostly for the clients and uh, partners. So both are currently work in under works. Um, and it will be shared uh, with the, the pitch deck will be shared with the Leon family uh, right when it's ready because once it's ready, we will need our Leon family members to share it with their connections and share it with their people because we we would love to get referrals. We love our Leon family. We know the kind of people 
we have brought together. We know the community that we've built, the family that we've built. It's, it's one of the highest and most sophisticated financially literate uh, community in the whole of Web3 or Web2 or Web1. I don't even care. Um, I say we're the best on the planet. Um, so once we have that, we'll be sharing that um, so that you can not only get to see the details yourself, but also get to share it with people that might be looking, uh, already have a thriving business looking to raise funds. So um, that's the best kind of synergy. So we will be doing that. Um, talking about the banking side of things, um, Alex Antonio met with the bank on Tuesday and they have officially opened their capital payment account. So let's celebrate that. That's a huge deal. Um, they, uh, they are waiting on transferring the 20,000, uh, Swiss franc that they need to, um, they're just waiting for the gas for ETH to calm down to do that transfer. Uh, once that's done, the account would be, <laughs> I see some reactions. Yeah. Everybody's just waiting for gas to calm down. Right. Um, so once that's done and again, they're doing that to save cost. It's crazy guys. Every aspect that Alex and Tony think about, they're always thinking about saving costs. And I, I get amazed every time I think I'm the biggest cost saver on the planet, but then I know like it's insane. Um, uh, so once that's done, um, the account would be officially good to go. And then there's steps after that. So once the payment is in there and the account is, uh, filled up with that, uh, we're not just waiting around until that happens. So the next step that's also happening is once the bank, um, notifies us that it has received that amount, our notary, um, will be able to start their work on the TCFX status and amendments for the chamber. Uh, and that is also an important step. This, this transfer of the funds is a precursor to this step. Um, they're going to be meeting with, uh, the notary at, on the 25th of April to sign the paperwork. Once that is done, um, we just have to wait for the Chamber of Commerce to officially register TCFX. So you guys see every week we're getting so close. And the reason I'm sharing all these details of all the different aspects of the company creation with you guys is because there's a reason we made company creation and operation part of Q3, uh, part of Q2, and maybe part of Q3, because this is not a simple process showing up to the government with a bag of money and saying, register our company. It doesn't work like that. Switzerland is one of the highly, most highly regulated uh, countries when it comes to digitization, tokenization, and, and blockchain. So they have a process. They have a step-by-step -step process you have to follow. Most people just do one thing at a time. Our founders are not only saving costs by doing a lot of things in-house, they're also making sure they're doing things in parallel so that things that usually take three to five months, it takes less so we can hit the ground running as soon as possible. Cause the sooner the company's registered, the sooner we can onboard clients, the sooner we can turn, uh, start generating revenue, the sooner our books, uh, show a history, the sooner we can talk to investors, everything aligns on as soon as, and it's still competitive advantage thing too. Like the sooner the company's registered, the sooner, uh, the less competition we have and, um, 
less time others have to catch up with us. So uh, agility is the name of the game right now. Um, talking about Leaks, which is our legal company, um, we did receive the first draft of our legal opinion from our lawyer, Vincent. Uh, and again, um, this is extremely important because uh, what we've done is the legal opinion would not include the SRO. What is the SRO? SRO is the Self-Regulated Organization License. So the reason it doesn't include that is because we have decided that we're not going to move forward with that right now for cost-saving purposes. Uh, but we are going to do that right when the company is created. Um, so we will be saving a lot of cost along with that. And we already talked about this. Once we have that license, we have the we have the funds to apply for that license because we were supposed to partner with a third party company that has that license and they would have taken a bigger chunk of the company. It's just something we didn't want. Um, so we're really proud to say that we can go for that license. It is one of the most prestigious licenses in, in Switzerland. So once we are able to get after that, we will be going after that ourselves. We don't need uh, our legal company to do that. Um, since we already have about 80% of the documentation related to that license already done in-house. So um, we have our legal partner leaks for the important stuff, while this license is also one of the most important things. But things that we cannot do ourselves and things where we definitely need legal clarity we have them, but also for research and other stuff that we're able to do by following um, expertise elsewhere, we're able to do that and save some costs there as well. So those were all the project updates. Um, you can expect a lot of good updates again next week. Everything, and I say this every time, if you're not listening to these on a weekly basis, um, that's why I record these as well. That's why they're on Spotify. If whenever you get time on the week, if you're driving, if you're doing your chores, instead of listening to music or something, just just make time to listen to these because the it's easy to to forget when there's no hype around and everybody gets excited. I know when the new mint opens or there's a new like fun thing happening, but these are things that are important for us to stay up to date on because. As long as we know what's happening in our project, I don't know how many communities can, if you do a survey, if you just go to a Discord and ask a random community member, hey, what, what's the found, what, what are the founders working on right now? Most, most community members can answer it to the level that, hey, they're working on the roadmap. Like, they'll give you high-level answers. If someone does that to us and asks like, hey, why should I come to MetaLeon Society and join the family? I know our family will be able to tell them exactly what's being worked on, exactly the paperwork we're doing, exactly the, the company creation process, all that stuff. And that just instills confidence. That just shows that not only the founders, the community is working hard to stay up to date because these are people that are that genuinely own, that genuinely show ownership of their funds and, uh, and their investments. Um, so I'm proud of each and every one of you that are here and everyone that will be listening to this once it's recorded uh, because there's no shortcut to success. And it's, it's both for founders, for the project, 
and also the community members. And it's funny how most projects don't look at their community members as investors because in truth they are uh, because at the core of the NFT technology, how it's being used in the NFT space, it's basically a uh, very efficient fundraising process. Um, so if you're not treating your community members as investors, and you can think of these as town halls, like when public stock companies do this, they have these calls and only two to three people can come up and ask questions out of like thousands of people. Like Tesla has a uh, call with its investors, like uh, an annual call. It's like an annual call. They don't do this on a weekly basis. You get the front row seat and get to ask questions and get to have discussions on the direction. And if you have any concerns, you can bring it up. I don't know a single time anybody's ever brought up a concern and it's not being uh, addressed. It's it's fortunate that we've been so transparent since day one that no concerns are ever uh, brought up. But if in case there's a step we take where somebody's like, as we start our operations, I don't think there would be ever a chance that Alex Antonio wouldn't address it. So. I love that. And that's why I arm you with information so you can ask them more educated questions. Um, so with that, I want to move on to our market updates. Um, and again, if you remember, I have been categorizing the market updates into different sections of what's important right now. Um, to start off things, the most important thing being uh, that I've been following right now is Operation Choke Point 2.0. So those of you that don't know what's happening with Operation Chokepoint 2.0, uh, it's called Chokepoint 2.0 because Chokepoint 1.0 happened around 2007 and 8, uh, where the US uh, government tried to uh, lock out specific industries out of the traditional financial system. Uh, it was unlawful, but they still did it because no regulation was around it. So, and nobody complained about it or there weren't enough voices. Operation 2.0, choke point 2.0 is being done against the crypto industry in the US. Unfortunate is it's the largest market in the world. Fortunate is US is not the only country in the world. And crypto is a global phenomenon. So if the traditional agencies of the US government try to continue to stifle innovation and lock out and basically choke out uh, crypto from traditional, from getting traditional financial services. Um, it's only the U.S.'s loss. It's it's just hitting your foot with a with an axe. So it's not good for the future of the country. It's not good for capital. It's not good for innovation. It's not good for the entrepreneurship mindset, which made the country what it is today. U.S. is the world leader because of the Silicon Valley, and the Silicon Valley wouldn't exist if the regulations on the internet weren't the best in the U.S. So we did it for the internet, but we can't seem to do it for the next version of the internet, which blows my mind. Um, it's like some weird form of amnesia. Um, so it's okay. It's fine. Um, so what's happening with Operation Choke Point? What happened this week? So interesting thing. I have been looking forward to it. I was thinking about live streaming it in our Leon family channel. Um, I was going to do it, but at the same time, it got really late. So I just uh, went to bed and watched the rest of it in the morning. Gary Gensler, and if you don't know who he is, he happens to be the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. 
and he's actively anti-crypto. And how do I know he's anti-crypto? Uh, anti These are not my feelings or emotions. As you all know me, I am a fact-based human being. I don't look at what you say. I look at what you do. If Gary Gensler was not anti-crypto, he wouldn't be suing U.S.-based regulated companies left and right and ignoring companies offshores that took millions and billions of dollars from U.S. customers like FDX and uh, Celsius and, I don't know, Voyager, a uh, bunch of these companies. So he, ha he just happened to miss all of these fraud companies. And now because his job is at stake and people are calling him out on sleeping at the, on the steering wheel, he is suing actual legitimate companies. So the, the, House, uh, the House Oversight Committee, which has Congress people from both sides, uh, Rep Republicans and Democrats, Democrats in the majority, of course, um, they called him in. They said, hey, Gary, you've been around for the last time you came in and testified in front of us was 18 months ago. What's up with that? Why have you been hiding? Um, so they basically called him in and I was so happy because he was shaking like a high schooler that had been hiding pot in his bag. Like it was the funniest thing. If you haven't watched it, DM me, I'll give you the link. Uh, and you can watch the whole proceeding or the highlights of it, at least. Gary Gensler was out of touch. Like you could tell that he had a script that was provided to him. And I can tell that that was a script provided to him because every time he got pushed against the wall, when people were asking him questions, he would either shake vigorously. Like I'm not making fun of him being old. I'm just making fun of it was a tell of when he was nervous. He stopped shaking when he was answering questions which were already prepared for him from the Democrats, like when Maxine Waters was, was um, I think she basically was praising Gary Gensler for being so good at his job. And it came right after a Republican uh, basically teared him apart. Um, and his shaking just stopped. He started smiling and he knew that he had the answer prepared. I am going forward to basically, um, I'm going to put my thesis forward that I have listened to Elizabeth Warren long enough to know her narrative. It is a very anti-crypto and pro, uh, not even, it's not even pro anything. It's just anti-crypto because she's against banks too. So if you're anti-crypto, you think someone is for the banks, but she's against banks as well. So I just don't get what her agenda is. Um, maybe she gets, again, who knows? The way she talks, Gary Gensler's answers, which were prepared for the Democrats, like they seemed pretty obvious that they came from Elizabeth Warren. And one of the one of the representatives actually asked Gary up front that were your answers prepared uh, by Elizabeth Warren up front because it has happened in the past. And I think that was a super nice burn because, and it, it got him really mad. Like you could see it on his face. Like Gary's not subtle with his body language or facial facial expressions. It's obvious how he's feeling, how he's feeling if you look at his, uh, and this was a very important testimony. So I'm gonna give you some highlights, which I really enjoyed other than Gary just shaking like a little kid uh, when he gets called to the principal's office. Um, so what happened was, 
there were multiple attacks on Gary. Um, and I don't say attacks because they were, because he needed to be attacked, because he's gone around claiming a lot of narratives which are untrue. Um, so he was called out for his multiple failures, like I shared, like uh, and stifling innovation in the US. He has this policy of continuing to say that the rules and regulations are clear and the crypto industry is one of the most unregulated industry. The crypto companies need to come in and register. Um, so his narrative basically fell apart when um, the chair, I think, McHenry, he opened up by directly asking uh, Gary Gensler if Ethereum was a security or a commodity because the chairman of the commodities uh, division said that ETH is a commodity. Then and in the New York uh, Department of Justice sued some company. Uh, I think they sued Binance claiming that ETH was a security. Uh, so he asked, like, is this a good look for the common investor? Is this is this clarity when both agencies can't agree? And we know that one entity, one thing, Ethereum, cannot be a security and commodity at the same time. So where is this clarity? So he asked him point blank. He said, give me a yes or no answer based on if you say the rules are clear, tell me if Ethereum is based on the rules that you said are clear. Give me a yes or no answer if ETH is a commodity. Then Gary tried to hide behind, oh, I don't like to answer things. I don't like to answer for one thing. It's it's a broad thing. And then he stopped him right there before he could go on with his bullshit. He said, you did answer for one thing. You said Bitcoin is a commodity. So you did choose one thing. Now I'm asking you to choose the second thing, which is Ethereum. And then he continued to respond with, oh, I don't... Uh, like to answer so he basically had a repetitive response to the same question which meant that he was being dishonest because if the rules are clear you could answer and say yes ethereum is a security according to my framework which is clear or it's not so there's the hypocrisy that was uh that was exposed right there in the first five minutes of the hearing which was the best thing because it set the tone for the whole thing um, there were a few other incredible uh, representatives like Tom Emmer. He ripped him apart for being basically incompetent and a cop uh, on the beat. I forgot what the saying was, but he was basically calling him someone who's just sleeping on his job. Um, and he's done nothing to create new regulations to adapt existing security regulations for this new industry because we know this is a new industry. For the first time, something can be a uh, can be a investment contract and can be used as a payment and can be used as a commodity. Like we have never had something like this before, and we have never had decentralization before. So for things that we haven't uh, seen before, you can't use rules and regulations from the 1930s and say that we have enough rules. Like that's not a solution. Uh, my best part came when Warren Davidson basically made absolute eye contact like a super sigma with uh, <laughs> with Gary Gensler and talked about his bill and told him point blank that I am working on a bill to get you out of your job and replacing the chair position of the SEC because there's been a series of abuses by past SEC chairs as well of their power 
and um, he's going to be replacing that position as part of his bill with a director position. And that director is going to be directly uh, reporting to a board. So the power is going to lie with the board and not that, that, not that director, because we really need that. Because what Gary Gensler is doing right now, he claims whenever he's put on the spot to answer difficult questions, he claims that his opinions are his own and his committee, he cannot answer for the five of his uh, commissioners. But when it comes to uh, lawsuits that he files left and right, he's brought 55 lawsuits in just under one year against crypto companies. Let that sink in, 55 lawsuits. And those are all because he's overreaching with his power because he knows nobody can control him. So he's just a power hungry maniac and he needed to be under control. So his face was really fun to look at when, um, Warren Davidson basically point blank told him that I am working on a bill to get you out of your job because you don't deserve it. Um, it's pretty cool. I liked it. Um, there were also some fluff pieces by, you know, Brad Sherman, the same guy who was like talking about uh, Mongoose coin. And basically he's 500 years old and knows nothing about crypto. He has a clear agenda. He likes banks. So his opinion honestly didn't matter and he was again applauding Gary Gensler for his wonderful work and bringing all these lawsuits against these criminal companies calling so basically Gary Gensler also got sidelined another good line of questioning that I noticed that happened was uh, one of the congress uh, congressmen I forgot his name or I can't remember who specifically answered in my notes I have what he asked though um, if you know that there's a lawsuit being brought to Coinbase right now uh, by the SEC, and he basically asked, um, did SEC review the pre-IPO documents by Coinbase? So whenever a company goes public in the U.S., they have to file with the SEC called an S1, I think. It's a piece of document which has a very detailed uh, documentation of the business practices, the products being offered, and the SEC looks at those and makes sure that what everything looks looks good and can be good for the customers and there's nothing shady going on. And as you know, Coinbase went public like in April of 2021. So the SEC looked at the business model that hasn't changed for Coinbase and they approved them and now all of a sudden, a few months ago, they decide that they're going to sue a publicly traded company. How can that be possible if you weren't in, there's only one explanation if you do that, that you were incompetent in reviewing the pre-IPO documents because this pump company went public with your permission and now you're suing them. So what does it say about you? So I think that line of questioning was also good. Um, another good, good, good line of questioning. And I really loved how these line of questionings were so factual because I could care less about emotions when it comes to like, because a lot of these politicians try to step around the questions and they try to say things which make you feel a certain way. Like part of the testimony, Gary Gensler brought up his dad and how he was inspired by him. And <laughs> um, it was just, it was such a stupid thing to do because it's like, be honest, just answer the questions. We didn't ask you about your dad. Like, it's just, it's just a, a tactic that has worked in the past, but it doesn't work anymore. So another good line of questioning that happened there was 
um, I think one of the congressmen asked Gary Gensler that, uh, has he ever owned or used digital assets? So he said, digital assets could be my stocks and my real estate, uh, REITs or anything like that. They said, no, specifically cryptocurrencies. So he said, no. Then the congressman confirmed again. So you're saying you have never used or owned cryptocurrencies. Then after waiting for about 20 seconds, and I could tell in his face, he's trying to think what's coming next. And he couldn't see what's coming next. So he said, yes, hesitantly though. Then the congressman said, and you claim to have taught a course in MIT about cryptocurrencies. He says, yes. So he says, do you see the irony that someone who's never used a piece of technology in his life has taught a course in MIT about it? So Gary Gensler, again, had the face of a high schooler caught with pot in his bag. Um, so again, the thing is the reason this line of questioning was brought up is because Gary Gensler has been using this narrative of teaching a course in MIT about cryptocurrencies to go to Congress and ask for more funding and all this to grow his, he's not using the funding to grow the legislative, uh, arm of, uh, SEC, which is going to help build no reg new regulations to. Uh, foster innovation. He's using, he's asking for money to hire more enforcement officers so he can bring more lawsuits and bring more money like the mafia he is. Um, and again, just to remind everybody, any lawsuit that Gary Gensler has won so far in the crypto industry is because he has infinite money and the crypto companies don't have infinite money and they cannot keep fighting him. So basically, they have to capitulate and, uh, end the lawsuit with a settlement, which is usually in the favor of the SEC. It's a basic mafia technique. If I stand in front of your house long enough, you will run out of food and you would have to leave your house. That's pretty much what he does. He basically sues you and delays the lawsuit for the longest. That's what he's done with the Ripple lawsuit. The lawsuit has gone on for two years, but to his incompetency, he didn't do enough research on Ripple. Ripple's got $1 billion in the bank. They said they can keep this going for five years if they have to. So they he undermined, oh, not he, but his predecessor undermined what uh, Ripple was capable of. And that's the company that's been fighting him uh, to the nail. So those were all the updates that I had from that five-hour uh, long grilling of Gary Gensler, which was very much long overdue because it was important for the Democrats to see how incompetent this guy is. Because all of this time he's been running around, he had time to go to the news art, news outlets and talk about how great he is and what he's been doing for the industry. But they needed to see the other side. They needed to see he's really not that great um, from all these things. Um, I, okay, my, now the, now take my take on all of this stuff, right? So I know that in, in Congress, things move slow. Um, this regulation to get Gary Gensler out of his job, get him fired, remove the SEC position. That is just, that is just a narrative. It's not going to pass. It's from a Republican. Democrats are not going to let that pass. Um, it's just, it's just good 
there's no tangible actions i believe right now that can come out of this but it's good to have this hearing because now there's clips of gary gensler shaking and not having an actual answer to simple questions uh all over the internet and for the first time the narrative is being changed and not controlled by gary gensler um and that is a good thing because it takes away credibility from him and much so because he doesn't deserve it in the first place and he has been incompetent overall not just the crypto market the stock market the bond market he's just overall incompetent and his clear agenda is to get the treasury job and that's why he's getting all these feathers under his cap so he can show that hey i've brought all these lawsuits doesn't matter if they're uh they're legitimate lawsuits or they're ethical lawsuits he has just the numbers behind him. So I like that um, Gary Gensler was weak. I like that it showed that he doesn't have answers to actual questions. I like that his hypocrisy was exposed. It's all good because eventually a change only happens when the narrative changes. So it's good for the narrative. It's good to show that this, this guy is not good for the industry. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of feel good about this. Um, I hope something comes out of that uh, legislation that has been passed, but um, it's only going to bring more Democrats on the side of crypto, I feel. If we can get a few more Democrats to understand this industry, understand it's good for innovation, which is a very left value in my opinion. Like innovation is, is something left, but I don't understand why there's this obsession with the traditional banking system when the us is losing power to the east on a daily basis like the china yuan is just expanding like anything russia india all these countries are basically just doing business amongst themselves in their own currencies at this point so the us stands a, a huge risk of losing the global power and the global market status um crypto is the answer adopting crypto would be the best thing to do right now so um Moving on, another thing with uh, the uh, the Operation Chokepoint, Bitrex, which is one of the oldest exchanges in existence and in one of the oldest in the U.S. as well. I remember my first exchange was Bitrex, and it was back in 2015 or 14. I can't remember. Um, Bitrex has been sued by the SEC for, again, selling unregistered securities. Um, Bitrex is going to be winding down its operation, another big exchange leaving the U.S. We already have Kraken uh, stopping shop, Nexo leaving. It's just everybody's just leaving the U.S. because it's just painful um, to do business in the U.S. Um, so Bitrex has, uh, and I think they've come to a settlement or something uh, with the SEC. I can't remember if it was a settlement or they're just voluntary voluntarily stopping business in the US. Um, if you go to Bitrix's official account, and I think I retweeted it as well, they put out an open letter. And the open letter basically stated uh, that the SEC is an ill faith organization. And uh, how they said that, they said that they have been in touch with the SEC multiple times over the years. For the past years, they have met with them at least 30 times. And they've discussed their business. They've discussed all the tokens they've uh, they've registered. SEC had nothing to say. No opinion. No feedback. Nothing. And all of a sudden, after five years of open discussions, SEC files a lawsuit against them out of nowhere. So you can see that the SEC's intentions are not good. 
Um, and it's pretty evil. And the intention is to get all these businesses out of the country. Um, I have no idea why they're doing that. Possible thing is they're trying to clear the road for the existing big banks to take over the crypto industry in the U.S. by removing all the competition. Um, but that's just speculation on my part. Until that happens, I can't say anything. Um, so Bittrex was pretty, it was a pretty sad open letter to read. And it was just, it just goes on to show you that uh, it's a pretty bad situation in the U.S. right now. Um, another thing that is happening with Operation Chokepoint, uh, another thing that was brought to light yesterday, there was a hearing for stablecoins. So right after the hearing with Gary Gensler, the next day, there was a hearing with stablecoins. There's a lot of, uh, lot of incredible constructive discussions. Uh, the main reason and agenda behind the stablecoin hearing in the Congress was to bring uh, stablecoin regulations and how to do that. They're trying to draft a bipartisan, um, I think it's uh, McKendry and Maxine Waters are working on a piece of legislation and they're trying to get more and more people to give their uh, inputs into that legislation to regulate uh, stable coins in the US in order to continue to foster innovation and make it uh, more efficient uh, to do those things, but also bring stability and protection for consumers. So I will try to watch that and I'll try to summarize that in our crypto channel in our Discord. Um, but that's, again, another five hours of um, listening that I have to do. But I'll do that. I enjoy doing that. I, I love bringing you guys those updates because it shows you what ha what's happening in Congress is important because that shows you where the future of the U.S. is. If the situation is bad right now, it doesn't mean it's going to be bad for the whole time. We need to look at where the ball is heading, not where the ball is right now. So Congress is a good place to see. If there's favorable bipartisan support for certain things, you can see there's something good that's going to come out of it. If not, then you can start preparing accordingly. Um, good thing there's VPN. You can always use VPN to use services. It's just, again, that reminds me. Another point of argument was Gary Gensler's argument was, hey, um, if they're not, if these crypto companies are not complying with us, we don't want them in the U.S. That's pretty much what he said. And I think Tom Emmer said, um, Gary, I don't know if you know this, but FTX was not a U.S.-based company and a lot of U.S. consumers got affected by it. So you saying that if they don't register with us, they can leave the country and that protects our consumers. That's not a solution. U.S. consumers get hurt even if the companies leave the U.S. So that's, that, that was a good point as well. Uh, we're going to move along from that, and we're going to talk about CBDCs. And just as I talk about how U.S. is falling behind, China's moving ahead full force. I already shared last week that Hong Kong has officially allowed all the digital banks to custody and allow crypto services to their consumers. And all of these banks are now going to, all these companies that they're getting kicked out of the U.S. are now going to go to China. And China's going to get the competitive advantage of the on the global scale, so it's just it's just horrible. It's just so short sightedness of these Congress people and these regulators. They don't see anything beyond um, the next few years. It's it, it's crazy. So 
what's happening with the digital yuan if you remember the last time i told you about the digital yuan they integrated themselves with the chinese super app called wechat and it's a super app because you can use it for texting sharing documents creating communities making payments sending money to people buying food it's one app for everything um and uh, the good th well i don't know if it's good or bad but the digital yuan continues to gain uh, use cases. So another use case that has uh, come up in the last week is the residents of the Shenzhen region, which is one of the largest cities in China. Uh, citizens and residents, well, residents of the Shenzhen uh, city can now make their payments for their housing provident fund which is basically a housing loan-based system uh, where people make mortgage payments or stuff like that. Uh, they can do that through the digital yuan. It's now accepted as a legitimate source of payment for um, their housing. So it's pretty cool. It's great to see the digital yuan growing in terms of its uh, different use cases and slowly branching out to different cities and states. Um, I, again, not a big fan of the digital yuan because I know the CCP, the basic, they love to surveil their people. So digital surveillance is the worst form of surveillance. Uh, but again, you can't control innovation. They are innovating in their own way. They're moving forward. Um, so good for them. Uh, talking about adoption, with all this doom and gloom, there's some good news, guys. Arkansas has officially signed the bill which is going to be protecting the rights to mine Bitcoin into law. So this bill had been in the Senate. It's been in the House. It moved pretty fast and it finally got signed, I think, yesterday. What does this bill do? This bill basically is called the Data Center Protection Act or something. And basically, it gives Bitcoin miners the same rights as data centers. So why is this important? A lot, of, a lot of jurisdictions in the U.S. charge extra fees and premium pricing for people that are trying to mine Bitcoin. So if you mine Bitcoin, you have to pay some extra fees. So uh, what this does is protects those miners from those extra fees. And they're just going to be Bitcoin miners are going to be treated as data centers. And if you look at the crux of what Bitcoin mining is, you could argue that it's pretty much a data center. It's nothing different than that. Whatever Congress tries to spread FUD, it's like, oh, it's it's using all this electricity. And Bitcoin mining uses not even 1% of, um, I don't even know. It's The, the rules are out there. The numbers are out there. 56% of Bitcoin mining in the U.S. is happening using renewable sources of energy, and the number is only increasing by the day. So there's just FUD to uh, Bitcoin electricity usage is not even close to half of the stupid things that happen in the U.S. that cost a lot more. So it's just a narrative being pushed because Bitcoin is decentralized. It is a direct threat to the centralization Problem is, if they were smart enough to see the big picture, Bitcoin adoption is actually good for the U.S. dollar. And the more U.S. government owns Bitcoin, the more power it holds over other countries and more it can dominate in the future. But 
again, you cannot fight with short-sighted people um, that are motivated by quick profits. Um, so we can't really talk about that, but good for Arkansas, another place that people can go if they're Bitcoin miners. I know Florida has some pro Bitcoin mining stuff. Texas has some, although Texas has a bill that is being worked on, which is going to be pretty anti Bitcoin mining, but I don't know if it's going to get much support. Wyoming has got pretty cool, uh, crypto pro uh, regulations as well. Um, another piece of good adoption, we're going to go to China, uh, next to China again, we're going to go to Japan for this one. So Japanese payment system called MoneyTap um, is known to have used uh, RippleNet, which is the Ripple company's uh, payment system. Um, this MoneyTap system has been built by one of the largest banks in Japan, I think it's the second largest bank in Japan. Uh, with, I believe, five or six trillion dollars of assets under management. Um, and this bank owns over like 50 or 60 percent of the banks in Japan. So Japan being a major superpower in Asia, uh, SBI Holdings, uh, the CEO Yoshitaka Kitao has announced that three new banks and all of these three new banks have over 100 branches each in Japan and abroad. Uh, he's announced that these three new banks have joined the existing network of MoneyTap-enabled banks. Um, and he will continue to push for this until every bank in Japan runs on MoneyTap. So one of the largest payment apps in Japan is being powered by a U.S.-based blockchain company that is being sued by the SEC in its own country. You cannot make this up. This is borderline hilarious. Like U.S. cannot seem to understand the value of Ripple. And over there in Japan, they're using Ripple to basically uh, make their payments faster and cheaper and easier and more transparent. So it's just it surprises me and boggles my mind. Um, Bank of Japan. Uh, well, next off, we're going to go to England. Bank of England is, and I'm going to close out with this one because this is related to our industry. It's related to TCFX, not directly, but in the same industry. Bank of England is preparing for a greater role of tokenization in its financial system, says the deputy governor. And they're currently exploring tokenization of currencies and other assets. So why is this piece of information important? England is known to, uh, UK has some pretty robust regulatory framework for crypto and digital payments and for stable coins. And this is great because England is looking at tokenization. Bank of England is looking at tokenization. So you know the industry we're in. Um, all these big people, they're starting to see the value in tokenization. And guess what? Before they even start their research phase, our product would be ready to go. Um, company would be created, the license would be had. That's what we're talking about. We're ahead of the curve. We want to be ahead of the curve. We don't want to be the 1%. We want to be the 0.0001%. So how do you do that? By creating the future that people are desiring. Um, so, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty proud of what we're doing in the Metal Leon Society. We have the right mindset. We know the industry. 
we're building the best we can. And once you have the best product and you're, you're ahead of everybody else, success follows. It's just common sense. So I'm pretty proud of everything we're doing. And, and it's important for us to continue to share on social media why we're bullish on Metalion Society and TCFX. Because with all the negative narrative around everything, tokenization is the future. You agree or not, BlackRock CEO has said it. Fidelity talks about it. Now the Bank of England is talking about it. U.S. will probably start talking about it in 10 years when everybody's already on it. Um, but the reality is this is where the future is heading. And we are already positioned to be part, a big part of that future. We are Leons and we are going to make it. Have a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, whatever time zone you're in. I love you all and I will see you all next week.